Hey Tyler, welcome to Network Capital. I know this is your first uh, podcast and vodcast. I'm thrilled to host you here. Um, tell us a bit about yourself. What do you do, and uh, what are you building? Absolutely. Thanks for for having me. It's uh, very exciting to be a part of Network Capital, and appreciate the uh, opportunity to chat with Karsh. So, um, yeah, I am the CEO and founder of Faves. And Faves is an app where you can find content recommended by your favorite business leaders, writers, creators, and economists. So for instance, if you go to Faves, you could find a podcast that's been recommended by Marissa Mayer, Sean Kim, who's the head of product at TikTok, um, best-selling author Nir Eyal, most importantly, Utkarsh, who's now a curator <laughs> on our platform, uh, or Deb Liu, who's the creator of Facebook Marketplaces. Um, so I think people these days recognize that um, the same way diet uh, shapes the way you look, uh, content diet shapes the way you think, and they want to improve their content diet, and we're creating a space for that. That's phenomenal. Tell me about the origin of this idea and a bit of your past life. Yeah, so it started out um, trying to understand, you know, I think I, I was an early adopter of TikTok. And I suddenly felt very fatigued by this fragmented experience of jumping from TikTok to Instagram to Twitter to email newsletters to Apple Podcasts. Um, and they say all a business is bundling and unbundling. <laughs> and so it <laughs> yeah. felt to me like it was time um, to rebundle media. And so uh, what, what kind of happens on Faves, we've enabled the ability for um, our curators to recommend all types of content. Um, from podcasts to articles to tweets to TikToks. So what happens is you end up with this one master feed uh, with all the best content on the internet. In many ways, it's like a for you page for the internet, recommended by people that you admire and trust rather than a fragmented experience where it's hard to find good content and most of the stuff you're reading is clickbaity and fake news. Um, so you know, I kind of backed into this. I started out wanting to build a small business uh, that would create passive income. <laughs> and then as we got further and further down the rabbit hole, we realized we were working on something really big um, and have just kind of run with that as time has gone on. Uh, I think this content discovery and consumption diet is something that a lot of us are thinking about because there's been a proliferation of content of all kinds in the past year, year and a half. Um, tell me about uh, this idea. When you started working on it, what were the first 100 days like? Was it while you were at GSB? Was it before? Um, how did your previous career set you up for what you're doing today? Yeah, so I started at GSB and the original idea was to build a place that aggregates all of the sports content on a particular team. Um, mm -hmm. Similar insight around fragmentation, I noticed that I was going to 10 or 15 sites to try to find the best articles on my favorite college sports team. Um, and so we built just a simple place that pulled that all together. And we ended up growing it to about 30,000 users in two to three weeks. And so we had really good validation. Wow. Um, but we had two things happen. One, COVID hit, so there was no more sports news. And two, we started having people say, hey, this is great, but I'm seeing seven articles that look really similar because they're all summaries of the most recent game. Um, and I don't want seven articles. I want you to pick. I want you to curate for me. I want you to tell me which one's the best to read. And so we started recognizing, okay, this concept of curation was really important. There's more good content on the internet than there is time. 
And I think people now recognize that attention really is our, our limiting resource. And so if we can help people find good content, because uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to go into product, if you want to build an algorithm, who better to learn about algorithms from than Sean Kim, right? The head of product at mm -hmm. TikTok, right? They're doing the most innovative stuff in the space. And so we started to say, can we start talking to experts and have them put their best content into a particular place? And what was exciting, you know, I didn't know Sean before this journey. What was exciting was to see his response. Um, Sean came at this from a very different angle. He, you know, obviously is a business leader. Um, he was at Amazon before TikTok. Um, and he wanted to start giving back to the community. And so he was looking for a way to mentor. And he put out on LinkedIn that he was looking to do this. And overnight, he had 300 applicants. And so Sean wow. had a problem. And Sean's problem was that he wanted to scale mentorship. He can't do 300 one-on-ones a week. Um, but what he can do is share the content that he's already consuming um, in a few minutes a day and help point people towards good resources. So to him, this was a way to, to scale mentorship and scale education and help people find good content. Um, so I see, yeah, I started working on it last summer. We raised a round of funding from Pair uh, VC, uh, went through their accelerator program and have been iterating on it over the fall. We're finally at a point we're ready uh, to release. And um, I'm very excited about that. The platform is invite only right now. And we now have a wait list that's in the thousands. Um, so if anyone listening wants to, uh, to check it out, you can go to faves.media slash early access to apply. That's amazing. Seems like you also have uh, pulled together a, a bunch of people from business uh, who are doing really interesting things. How did you get access to these people and how did you convince them to join? Yeah, so it's um, primarily because of our business model. Um, so one of the other things that, that I think is really important about what we're doing is the way that we plan to make money over time. Um, hmm. so every social platform out there today basically uh, captures your attention and then sells that attention off to third parties, right? right. And when we understand you know, that those incentives are perverse, uh, they lead to uh, you know, products that are built for addiction, um, we are trying to do a different business model. So instead of selling third-party ads the way that Facebook or Twitter does, we're taking that space in the feed. You know, every 10th post is an ad on these platforms. It's what makes Facebook a trillion dollar company. And we're taking mm -hmm. that and we're giving it away for free and we're giving it to the curators on our platform. So if you are Sean Kim and you're curating and you're sharing the articles that you love, you can then take that space and maybe you have a uh, you know, group, Sean doesn't do this, but maybe you have a group um, of people that can interact with you more personally in like a paid subscription service, or maybe it's network yeah. capital, then you can advertise network capital on our platform. And so what we see right now is that the business model for social media is selling third-party ads. We're trying to build a social media site where the business model is to be top of the funnel for creators and help everybody out there who wants to be um, a full-time creator make a living doing what they love. Um, so it's almost like the Substack um, like belief system applied to social media. So, so to kind of, I know that's a roundabout way to answer your question, but the reason we've been able to attract so much talent is that that ethos really resonates with people. And mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the people out there who are coming onto our platform, they're authors of Substacks um, David Matten works with the World Economic Forum. He writes a Substack, and just like everybody else, the challenge is exposure and growth. 
And so for him, it's like, look, I could be participating in this ecosystem rather than spending my time on Twitter. And in return, people are discovering uh, my Substack and it's growing my newsletter. Like, why would I go anywhere else? That sounds interesting. Do you see Twitter or Facebook as competition or are they essentially distribution channels for you? It depends. Um, I don't see them as competition at this point. We're certainly not competition to them yet. Um, we're very, very small potatoes, uh, but hopefully that will change quickly. Um, I think at the end of the day, everything on a phone is competing for your time a little bit. Like who's going to create the best user experience? What I've found is um, I, I like, I love Twitter. I think Twitter gives the most intellectual content in bite-sized pieces on the web. Um, but I still find myself kind of in an echo chamber and seeing the same six or seven people post over and over on Twitter. And so right. what we're doing by, by you sharing the best people out of the thousand that you follow and me sharing the best tweets out of the thousand that I follow, you end up with a much more variable and interesting feed um, than what you do on any of these platforms on their own. Um, so, so sure, we want you to spend your time here because we, we want it to be you know, social media that's both entertaining and guilt-free because you're actually learning things. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't view us as a direct competitor at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, my question was more about, uh, are they approaching the creator economy very differently from the way you're approaching creator economy? It seems like you are. Like the, your whole emphasis is on uh, curation as a service. And you can also curate your feed on Twitter by following the right people. I was trying to understand what might the difference be as a consumer of the right set of people on Twitter versus being on Faves or a platform like Faves. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, the first thing that I'll that I'll mention is that our feed looks very different. It looks like a TikTok feed, um, and hmm. so there's one piece of content per screen. And um, why is that? Why TikTok? So it's a couple of things. Um, one is over time you want to be able to show people uh, what content they want to view. And one of the things Twitter has challenges with, there's, there's some really fascinating articles out there by Eugene Wei, who I think is one of the smartest yeah, people. I really enjoy his writing, yeah. He's amazing. He's, he would be one of my dream curators. So we're, we're starting mm -hmm. to reach out to him soon to see if we can get him on faves. Um, so what, what TikTok, by virtue of having one piece of content per screen, can understand if you're interested in that particular content. Whereas on Twitter, if you see eight tweets at the same time and you're scrolling, it's very hard for Twitter to understand whether you, you want to, to see more things like that or not. So it helps right. us serve better, more personalized content. But we can tell, okay, you're really interested in the stuff Sean's posting. You're not so interested in the stuff that I'm posting, right? So we're going to show you more of Sean's stuff. That helps a ton. Mm -hmm. I also think that um, just in general, fragmented attention is a pretty dangerous thing. And when you're looking at Twitter, there's so much stuff right there um, that I don't enjoy that experience as much. Whereas when you have something like Faves or TikTok, it's just one thing to look at. You like it, you don't like it, you go to the next thing. So I think it's a better mm -hmm. user experience. The other piece of it is it allows us to build other features that nobody else has. So um, David Matten works with the World Economic Forum and is a curator on Faves. And he has this amazing British accent. <laughs> And he will post a tweet and then we have a feature where he can give 30 seconds of his take on the story um, that he records and the audio plays right over it. You could never do that in a Twitter feed because you can't have six pieces of audio playing at the same time. 
Um, we also have the ability for people to add GIFs on it. Um, so it just ends up being a more engaging experience um, and we can find you better content. We're building more of an interest graph than a social graph. Um, yeah. So, you know, the way to articulate this is um, if I follow a thousand people on Twitter and I'm, I'm a power user, <laughs> I'm following 0.0001% of the accounts on Twitter, which means that Twitter is making my feed up of the best stuff from 0.0001% of the content on Twitter. Right. There's so much good stuff out there that I'm missing. And, and I know I'm missing it because I go to Instagram and I see my friends posted on their stories. And I'm like, man, I should be following that person. I, I wish Twitter was figuring out how to build a better interest graph. Um, yeah. And so by using one piece of content per screen, by using curation as a discovery tool, we can make a more compelling feed that has the best of all of Twitter, not just the best of those thousand people, plus the best of all of TikTok all in one place. Got it. When you, uh, when you look at um, this entire social graph, so, and content discovery. So TikTok approaches it very differently from say Instagram and yeah. that approaches it very differently from, uh, from Twitter. Are you seeing uh, generational differences across age groups? Are you, are you observing um, Gen Z using content or discovering content differently versus millennials versus say older people? Candidly, I don't think it's generational. I think TikTok just does a better job. Um, and I think the technology wasn't there when Twitter was developed or when Instagram was developed, um, they all used social graph as a proxy for interest graph, which was the best thing you could do at the time. The challenge for those companies switching from a social graph to an interest graph is you have all these legacy users that don't want that. Um, they have built their, their feed to be extremely curated of the X number of people you follow. And if you change that core user experience and suddenly start showing them different things, you're going to upset those legacy users. But right. I think TikTok does a better job. So if you think about Twitter shows you the best tweets of 0.0001% of their platform, TikTok shows you the best videos for you of all the videos on TikTok. And so you end up with a more compelling feed. They're doing a better job of leveraging the content on the platform to create a compelling experience. And so a lot of what we're trying to do is say, okay, what can we learn from that? TikTok is, is very, very smart uh, around the way that they build an interest graph. What can we learn from that? And what great content is there out there in the podcast or the article space or the tweet space or the meme space that's not being discovered because they're not doing discovery like TikTok? Um, and, and one more note I'd like to put on that too. Part of having a fragmented experience for discovery um, articles and podcasts are really hard to build an interest graph for because mm -hmm. the frequency with which people consume them is so much lower. So if I go on TikTok in 30 minutes, I've scrolled through hundred pieces of content and TikTok can build a pretty good profile and say, okay, this guy loves surfing videos. Uh, he likes watching bungee jumping because he doesn't have the courage to do it himself. Um, so mm -hmm. we're going to show more stuff like that. Uh, the challenge there uh, is, is with long form content, it's very hard to build a recommendation engine, but by putting short and long form together, we can build a pretty strong interest graph and then do podcasts yeah. and article recommendation better than anybody who just has podcasts or articles, because we can tell right. from the tweets and TikToks you're looking at that you are curious about the creator economy. So we'll recommend podcasts about the creator economy. Right. I think that's really interesting. Um, I don't know if you, companies that do this manually, so of, you know, the five best articles of the day, 
Right. Um, then say communities like Network Capital, like they they understand their audience, so they'll figure out what are the best things to uh, to read. And you're saying that there's a there's a tech enabled way to do that, which I think is built into your product, which sounds amazing, honestly. Yeah. So we we think. Um like anything else, if you can build a platform that enables people to do this and do it in a centralized way, you end up with a better user experience. You see a ton of people write newsletters what they're doing is sharing their favorite links. And it's really helpful because people are looking for help finding great content. Um, so right. all we're doing is centralizing that into one place. And then we're layering what we can do with technology on top of the human curation element. Yeah, yeah. Like everything else, we think human plus AI is going to create the best experience. So you're sifting through 100 pieces of content a day, you share the three best, and then we figure out which part of our audience is interested in the things that you're interested in. And then right. those people follow your recommendations. We show them network capital. They say, hey, this guy's really smart. I want to be a part of it. And they sign up as a subscriber. And suddenly you're making you know, more money as a, uh, as a community and able to do what you're doing full time. Yeah. You obviously are very good at because you've already built this. But for a lot of people out there, they want that experience. And so that's kind of our view of where social should go. Yeah. Um, and the other piece that I'll put on top of that is, is we think of, we define curation very specifically. So I think of curation as being two things. It's assisted discovery and contextualization. And so mm -hmm. the assisted discovery is you're helping me find a tweet that I wouldn't see in my feed or an article that I wouldn't hear about. And the contextualization is I respect you I want to know what you think about it and hear your take. And I want to make tools that make it really easy for you to share your take with me. 30 second audio clip, a 30 second, uh, you know, reaction video to it. And so that's what we have built into our platform. Do you think Tyler that uh, there are parts of what you're trying to do that uh, say a pocket is trying to implement with its own, you know, recommendation engine or say Substack reader, which is uh, I think the discovery platform, are they trying to attack the problem or at least a part of the problem as well? Yeah, I think so. And I love both of those tools. I think Substack uh, created a revolution in the creator economy and proved that people are willing to pay for content. I love that. Um, you know, when we started building this, we thought of it as a social version of Pocket. Um, hmm. So I, I absolutely think so. Um, I think that when you focus on one piece of the problem, and you double down, you do it better than if it's kind of an afterthought. And for Pocket, you know, their key problem is save it for later. And the social recommendation piece was kind of an afterthought. They really were a single player tool that's tried to layer on multiplayer over time. For right. Substack, discovery isn't their bread and butter. Their bread and butter is enabling writers to create and monetize. Um, and that's great. And so we think that we pair really well with a service like Substack. You know, I think if we're mm -hmm. successful, will accelerate Substack's growth rate and would love to work mm. with them, you know, more closely. We already work with a lot of their writers. Um, mm. But I, I think, you know, we are really deeply focused on the discovery experience. Um, and so I don't view them as like competitive products in that way. That's really interesting. Uh, um, the way you mapped out the landscape, it, it clearly knows that you understand the creator economy and uh, you're trying to make creators more successful. And I always think that if your platform or community is focused on community members' success, I think you're uh, you're likely to succeed in the long term. Uh, we follow that very closely on Network Capital. I mean, the only reason we exist is because our community members keep coming back to us, and we are obsessed over you know community member impact. Right, right, absolutely. I love what you guys are doing. I mean, you're the example of what we want to accelerate. So everybody out there who has 
a network capital-like community and everyone out there who has a Patreon and everyone out there who has a Substack, you know, the challenge is discovery. Um, yeah. The really good thing about creating a paid community is you can do it full time and you can do it, you know, with utmost quality rather than as an afterthought. We want people to be able to do that. They're creating value. They should be paid for it. But the challenge is as soon as you put something behind a paywall, it's very tough to get people through that funnel to understand what they're going to get and decide, okay, this is worth my time. And right. so that's our entire plan is like, we think social media should be that the free content that you're seeing when you recommend something, right? Like that's your, like, that's your baby step to build trust, right? I look yeah. at that and I go, man, Utkarsh has good taste, right? And I see three or four things and I start going, man, I, I kind of, I really like the way this guy sees the world. And then I see an ad that says, oh, he has a community. And I start thinking to myself, man, it might be worth for me to spend my time in here. And so we're trying to bridge uh, the world between free content on social media and premium paywalled content and communities. Um, hmm. and that's where we think social can go. That's, that is our business model. Um, and right yeah. now we're not charging anything. We're not trying to take any cut. We're just proving that we can create value. So it's a really good time to be a part of it. Later on down the road, you know, if we're creating a ton of value and accelerating the growth of the creator economy, we'll figure out a way to monetize, whether it's yeah. you know, the way Substack has by taking a small cut uh, or whatever, uh, but our main goal- Or is maybe like, charging the creators a small part, a monthly subscription. You can go down many ways. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think it's an interesting piece. If I can look to you and say, through analytics, I can show you that you're getting 10 new community members you know, every week, and you know what the value of that is, and it enables you to do what you're doing full time. Like, yeah, you start looking at- I'll happily pay. I mean, I'm a subscription-based business. I love to support subscription-based business, but I really like the design principles of uh, Faves. Tell me about the product. Like, are you a product person or uh, have you gotten on a bunch of really interesting people to do the product work? How did you think about curating this? Because I do have a bunch of friends who are trying to uh, solve the same problem in different, uh, in different parts of the world. And uh, we keep having discussions on product and content discovery and what might success look like for a platform. So I'd love your take on that as well. Yeah, so... Um, I am not a product person by training. Um, I do have my MBA from Stanford and took a few classes there on product. Um, and it is my second company, but my first company was in the physical um, product space. So it's my first time doing a digital platform. Hmm. Um, candidly, you know, I think you learn by doing. Um, and so if I showed you screenshots of what our first gen looked like back in the fall, you would laugh at me and I'd laugh at myself too. Um, but I brought on a really good team. We've got two engineers that are very, very sharp. Uh, a designer, full-time designer. Um, Sean Kim is the head of product at TikTok. So I've tried to surround myself with really smart people that are good at product. Probably mm -hmm. the biggest lesson that I've learned through that process is don't over-innovate. There were too many things at the beginning that I was trying to change and it just creates this very unfamiliar user experience. I think mm -hmm. the best product tips are take an, ex an existing experience that people understand and only change the parts of it that really drive new value. Um, right. And that's what we kind of had to do. We decided, look, we're going to build an interface that looks very familiar to people. The tabs look very familiar to people. Um, and we're going to start there. And we're just going to change the pieces that, that really drive value. And, and that's when we've kind of like had things pull together. I think if you get on the product, the um, response has been very positive. It looks similar to an Instagram story with more features. Um, it looks kind of similar to, to TikTok. But the content that you're seeing is much more highly intellectual. Um, and so it's almost like a TikTok for learning type experience. And I, and I love yeah. that.
Yeah, uh, me too. Um, Tyler, I've observed about uh, invite-only communities that uh, enabling the same kind of people to keep coming is a challenge. Like the first 10,000 network capital people are very different from the next 10,000 and the next mm -hmm. 10,000. Mm -hmm. So how do you look at scale? And uh, do you look at scale at all? And what might um, faves plus three years look like for you? So we're not thinking about scale a ton at this moment. I, I truly believe success um, comes from relentless focus. And our relentless focus yeah. right now is getting the product right and getting the right people on the product to make a great early experience. With that said, I think what we're doing will scale really well. I think one of the challenges that Clubhouse had in scaling is that their initial user experience was built around interaction. And interaction mm -hmm. doesn't scale nearly as well as content consumption. And so if Marissa is recommending an awesome podcast on here. If I'll go listen person, to it now. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, and that scales really well. If the value of Clubhouse in the early days was being in a room with four people that included Ashton Kutcher, and now you're in a room with 10,000 people that included Ashton Kutcher, that's very, very different. And so I think yeah. what we're doing will scale very well. Um, the reason that we've decided to pursue invite only you know, one, we want to make sure that we can control the speed at which adoption occurs um, mm -hmm. because we want to make sure the product's right before we let too many people in the front door. Um, yeah. And so for us, it's really, you know, we have, as I mentioned, thousands of people on our wait list right now. Um, and we're going to- Great job, by the way. I mean, it's amazing that you already have a huge waiting list. Thank you. It's been, um, it's been exciting. I think the cool thing is we're driving value for creators. And so creators are telling their audience about it right we have people on subject that go out and say hey i'm now part of faves and it's me and you know marissa mayor that are sharing our favorite content if you want to see what i'm reading check it out and they're excited about that because they get to interact with their fans in a new way and they get to acquire new users so i don't know i think startups in the early days are just all about finding a way to create value for people and, and we're we figured out how to do that with our with our business model um so yeah, I, I, think it, I think it will scale. Um, there will obviously be bumps along the way, but we just want to make sure the product is really- That's the part of the adventure. Right? Without bumps, it it's not fun, right? Yeah. It is, that's right. <laughs> awesome. Any Tyler, any, any parting advice for people innovating in the content discovery space or is just anything, any surprising nuggets that you've stumbled upon while building it? Optimize for speed and just keep going. <laughs> I think yeah. um, there were so many moments, it, it now feels like things are coming together and we've built a lot of excitement and enthusiasm and the, our analytics are starting to look good, but there were you know, almost a year of time where every one of my friends thought I was crazy for doing this coming out of an MBA where I could get a job at these other places and the product looked like crap and people who got in it didn't like it. And you know, I, I think what I tell people often is like, you have to build a bad product to build a mediocre product, to build a good product, to build a great product. Um, yeah. And you don't start seeing the results until you get to the tipping point of like, oh, what I'm doing is better than the alternative for where someone spends their time, which meant for us, there was a lot of just work really hard, put something out there, crash and burn, work really hard, put something out there a little better, crash and burn. And then finally you get to this point where it tips. Um, so I think, you know, part of it's just keep going. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of cool stuff to be built. The adventure is part of the, part of the fun and the lessons you learn about um, being able to push a boulder up a hill and manage your own energy um, when you're not getting immediate positive feedback. I think those are really good personal lessons that that enable growth too.
Yeah. I find a lot of hope in what Reid Hoffman says that if you're not embarrassed by the first iteration of your product, you launch too late. That's that's yeah. a fun quote. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, so yeah, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. But Tyler, this has been so much fun. I wish Paved lots of success, and uh, this podcast is going to be listened by loads and loads of Network Capital members and all around the world. And uh, yeah, I look forward to meeting you soon. Hopefully, when the world opens up. Uh, we good to grab coffee. That would be wonderful. I'll put one more plug in here that if you want to get on the wait list, uh, go to faves.media slash early access. Uh, and if you want to apply to be a curator, go to faves.media slash slash application. I think, um, can you put both of those in the show notes? Absolutely. Uh, we'll do that. And we'll uh, actually plan to send it out to all our uh, you know community members via email and uh, our other platforms, networkcapital.tv. So I think you, you should expect to hear from many of us. Great. Awesome. Well, awesome. I really appreciate the time. It's an awesome, awesome community that you've built. I'm excited to be a part of it. It's likewise. I love what you're building and I can't wait to see you scale and soar. Mm -hmm. Cheers, Tyler. This has been fun.